Uh, for those of you who may be joining us, uh, we're in week three of our series of the early church, looking into the book of Acts. And what we're basically doing is we're looking at the early church and trying to figure out what we need to change as a church to look more like the early church and what we can learn about ourselves because we want to be the church that God intends for us to be in 2023 and for the years to come. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gifts necessary to reach the lost in their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They also didn't hesitate ever to share the gospel with people. They were always sharing the gospel with everyone and calling for repentance because they wanted to see transformation happen. They weren't just relaying information. They wanted to see people's lives change. And then they also gathered together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They ate together. And oftentimes more than once every single day. And it was because of their dedication to each other and to God They saw healing and constantly looked for spiritual solutions to the worldly problems that they were presented with. And all these are great things that we hope and I believe that we will see as a church. But the early church, as they're seeing all of these amazing miracles, Luke, who uh, wrote the book of Acts, is quick to point out what's also happening at the same time. And it's a topic that we talk about not, not too often, but often enough to where we're familiar with the idea but it's an essential piece of the early church as it continues to happen to them over and over again throughout the whole book of Acts. You'll see this repeated theme and throughout church history, you'll see this topic and that topic is persecution. And so just as a disclaimer for you here, this is a heavy sermon. It's a very heavy topic and it's not gonna be easy to hear or to speak, but it's necessary. And so if you're here and you brought someone new and you're like, really, pastor, like you chose this, you, like you chose today to talk about persecution, they got to know. They got to know what's going to happen. So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27, says the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by their high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, but you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must, re- we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so he, uh, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When he heard this, they were furious, wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up before the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 of his followers rallied, 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all of his followers dispersed. And it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I'd advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. 
But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them to not speak the name of Jesus and to let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had, counted, they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus is the Messiah. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, as we talk about a very heavy subject of persecution, Lord, I ask that you soften up all of our hearts so that we can hear what you're actually trying to say. And Lord, speak through me as you always do and as you always know how. Lord, may I, may I step down from this pedestal and let you take the spotlight. May you shine in the words that you speak through me. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So when I was reading and studying through chapter five, I was honestly just gonna focus on this last bit, but then this, this small little story that Acts chapter five starts with caught my attention. And as much as I didn't want to go over it, I feel like I have to. And so um, Acts chapter five starts with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, this is the first Ananias. There's another Ananias that shows up later in the book of Acts. This is the first one that's mentioned. Put it, to put this in context of what's happened up to this point, we've touched on it a little bit, but not a whole lot, is that the apostles and the followers of Christ, when, when they started reaching people and healing, they, they sold everything. They sold all of their property. They sold all of their possessions. And they basically just put it in a big pile. And they're like, this is what we're going to use. Together as the early church, this is what we're going to use. And they didn't have a building, and so all of the funds were meant to give to the needy and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so everyone was putting everything that they owned, which in return made them needy. And so they would, they would grab from it sometimes to get some food. But for the most part, it was just all given to other people outside of the church that were in need. But they were given everything and you kind of see this clearly in Acts chapter 4, the, the section right before. It says, the, all the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Not some of it, they shared everything that they had. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and brought it to the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so in short, what this is, is a demonstration of radical generosity that the church had. It was a culture that was very generous with their possessions and with their money and with their time. And so we haven't talked about it yet, talked about generosity necessarily, but that is going to come up later. I'm not going to spend a whole sermon talking about generosity today, but it was this demonstration of radical generosity, which was an essential part of the early church. But then we find Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Now, what we know about them, we don't know how much the money, how much money they got from it, but we know that they sold their house and their land. And they gave some of it to the apostles and they held some of it back. Now, there was nothing wrong with this. Everyone else was given everything, but it wasn't required of people to give everything. As far as like finances go, it wasn't required for everyone to give everything. And so Ananias and Sapphira they hold some back, right? They want to keep some money for themselves, which is perfectly fine. There is no fault in any of that. The problem was that they lied about it. 
And so how I kind of imagine this in my head, like sometimes I'll look at scripture and I'll think of like how I would present that in a movie scene, right? All of these people are just giving everything up. They're giving everything up and they're like, I sold my house for $200,000, here's $200,000, right? And then you've got Ananias and Sapphira. And they're like, well, I don't wanna give all of it away because you know we, they might have kids, you know, I don't know. They, they might have families that they want to take care of and distribute. And so they, they're like, well, you know, we sold our house for $300,000, which is, you know, a small home nowadays. But, you know, $300,000, and we'll give you $150,000. That's what we'll do. We'll give them $150,000. We'll keep $150,000. I'm just making up numbers so that you can connect with the text. And so what they do is they present it, Ananias comes before the apostles and says, Here's a, I, I sold my house, this is everything that we got from it, $150,000. Now, he acts like he, got, he gave them the full amount, but we know that he didn't. And Peter knows it too, and he calls him out on it. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing, referring to him lying? You have just lied to human beings, but you've also lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Is that not like a super dramatic scene for you? He says, here's all of the money that I got from this house. Peter says, no, it's not. You just lied. Dead. Wait, what? I don't know if I want to be a part of this church. Three hours later, right? Verse seven, three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing that any of this has happened. Peter says, is this everything that you got from the land? Of course it is. That's what she says. Yes, that's the price. Peter said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are out the door. They'll carry you out also. And then she fell over and died too. I'd be a little nervous coming to this church. Right? I, you know, I give tithe faithfully and that's the truth, right? Because now I'm scared that I'm going to die. But I do give tithe faithfully. But if I say that I tithe and I only give 8% instead of 10%, like, you walk into this church, you're dead. Like, this is absolutely crazy. Why was the punishment so severe? Why did they die? It wasn't like the apostles went over and killed them because they lied to them. This was the Holy Spirit protecting the church. And so why was it so severe? It doesn't really seem like such a big deal. It's just a, a small little lie. And really, they're just trying to elevate themselves. Instead of denying themselves and following Christ, they're elevating themselves. But it was so severe because it's sin. And sin will always lead to death, for the wages of sin is death. And there's a thing in, in the leadership training that I've done and I've learned is that the behavior that you tolerate is what the culture will become. The behavior that you tolerate is what the culture will become. And so if I tolerate people being late, they will always be late. If you tolerate your kids breaking some of the rules that you've set, they will always break the rules. So what you tolerate is what the culture will become. 
If sin and deception was tolerated by the early church, the early church would have cultivated a culture that also tolerates sin and deception. And a church filled with sin and deception will lead people away from God and will eventually die. This is a picture of what happens. If evil were to enter into the church, they would die. And that's why it couldn't be tolerated. That's why the punishment was so severe. God was protecting his church from evil ever coming in. Because if evil came in and corrupted it, none of us would be here. None of us would be believing in God right now. None of us would be gathering together in the church. And so what does this look like for you on a personal level? Right, since we're talking about money a little bit, if you say that you're generous but you don't give assent, that's lying and that's deceptive and that's sinful. If you say that you're a follower of Christ, but you continue to just follow your, follow your gut and do what you want to, then you're deceptive because you're acting like you are a Christian, but you're really not. And if you continue to tolerate this deception and sin in your life, you will create a culture of sin and deception and find ways to, to say that it's okay because it's been tolerated by the church. And we wonder why America is celebrating sin and deception. And I think it started with the church tolerating sin and deception. The early church's rebuking of sin actually created a culture of healing, of purpose, and a a culture that's spiritually well. Because what happens next in chapter 5 is after they, they rebuke this evil from ever entering into their church, the apostles heal many people and people continue to add in number daily. This is what we see next in the book of Acts in chapter 5. But what followed the signs and wonders and miracles of the healing was the beginning of these series of intense persecutions. Now to summarize some of this last section talking about persecution, here's what happened. The Sadducees get jealous because they start hearing about these apostles and they're healing people and they're performing all these miracles and the Sadducees are like, I can't do that. I I can't replicate that. I can't heal these people. These people are coming to me and I can't heal them. They're going to the apostles and the apostles are saying, you're healed and then they're walking and they're healed. And so the Sadducees, they get really jealous and they they can't replicate it. And so they, they call for the apostles to be arrested and they arrest them. They get put in jail just for simply sharing the love of Jesus. And so this, uh, the angel of the Lord comes, opens the jail cell, says, go in the morning, just, just go and share the gospel with people, right? You're free from this. And then when the Sanhedrin meets, they call for the apostles. Of course, they're not in the jail cell anymore. Where are they at? The temple courts preaching about Jesus. And so they call them in and they said, we're going to put you before trial. So the Sanhedrin has them come in. They're standing before the Sanhedrin. And in verses 27 through 32, you see this exchange. People in the Sanhedrin said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. You filled Jerusalem with all of your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. But look, I'm adding some stuff, but look who actually killed him. It was the Romans. It wasn't us, right? We know that they initiated it, but they're saying it's all Romans, right? The Romans were the ones that killed him. We didn't kill him. And Peter and the other apostles said, we must obey God rather than human beings. So we're basically, what they're saying is, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to what God says. 
And the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand. And so this is another proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah because he's exalted at the right hand, which David prophesied about. And so the Sanhedrin knows what they're trying to say. And they said, we're just witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. And God gave the Holy Spirit to us so that we would be empowered to go. And when they heard these things, meaning the Sanhedrin, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But then this guy named Gamaliel starts talking. And he, he talks about all these other leaders, these two other leaders. He's like, you remember this guy? How, how he got this great following of 400 people and, and it seemed like they were really going to be something, but then he died and all the followers scattered and then it was nothing? Or, or what about this guy? Remember, man, he, he really ruffled some feathers and, and got a bunch of people with him, but then he died and then all of his followers also scattered. And he's making this argument saying it's the same way with these apostles. That may seem like they have this great following. They have a couple thousand at this point. But, you know, if it's, it's not from God, so it's just going to die. Once these apostles die from their own doing, then all of the, the followers are going to scatter and we'll just be right back to where we are. So we don't need to get our hands dirty. We don't need to put blood on our hands. So let the Romans take care of it. Because eventually the Roman Empire is going to get frustrated with them and they're going to kill them. And so we don't have to do anything and we won't have to be responsible for it. But he says this in verse 39. He said, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, in my opinion, I think this was him just trying to look a little extra spiritual, right? Before the whole Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now that's just my take on it. He might've been genuine in it. But even the Sanhedrin, who is made up of all of the people who put Jesus on the cross, understood that if they fought against God, they would lose. They knew that. They knew that from their study in Scripture. They knew that if they fought against God, they would lose. But throughout the book of Acts and throughout church history, they would continue to fight against Jesus' teachings. Why I'm pointing this out is that you can know your Bible back and forth. By a young age, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in their training would have had the entire Old Testament memorized word for word. Meaning if you walked up and you're like, all right, I'm going to test you. What does 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 6 says? They would know immediately, right? You, I don't think anyone's memorized that verse. Probably not. But right, they would be able to. They would be able to rattle it off. They knew the Bible backwards and forward. And they've been training in it. They study it. This is their job to just sit there for hours upon hours and just study it and meditate on it and look at it, memorize it. So you can know the Bible. You can go to church. You can do all the things that a Christian's supposed to do. But it doesn't mean that you have a personal relationship with God. It doesn't mean that you know God even when he's looking at you face to face. This is how the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. They saw Jesus's face. They saw him there presently here. And they're like, you're not God. They didn't even recognize their own person. They didn't even recognize their own God. And so just because you recite a prayer at meals and maybe a few other times before bed doesn't mean that you actually know him. You know, I can tell someone all of my problems all the time, but if I never listen and I never hear their voice, they might know a lot about me and my problems, but I'm gonna know nothing about them. 
I might be able to read some facts and know that they're from this town and they were born in this year and, and this is a few things that they did, but I won't actually know them. Right? There's a difference between having a knowledge of someone and actually knowing someone. And so when you are actively listening to God, what will happen is you will confuse persecution with discipline. You'll, you'll confuse persecution with punishment for your own sins. If you ask any Christian, they might say, nowadays, they might say that they've been persecuted before at some point in their life. Now, if you're anything like me, I know that I haven't been. I know I've not been persecuted. I've got my feelings hurt and stuff, but I've not been persecuted before. But here in America, a lot of people claim that they've been persecuted for their religion. And for some, that might actually be true. But since I know that there's no government officials and police officers coming in here right now as I'm preaching the gospel to you, coming in here and arresting me in front of all of you, not very much persecution is happening in America. Other parts of the world, it's very dangerous to do what I'm doing up here right now. But I feel like most just get their feelings hurt. They get a little uncomfortable with the conversation about it. Maybe someone gets a little hostile with their words and they're like, oh man, I was persecuted for my faith, for sharing my faith. Or they experience really hard moments in their life because of their sins, as a result of their sins, and so they claim to be attacked or persecuted. Listen closely. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it kept ringing in my, in my head over and over again. Your feelings getting hurt because someone disagrees with you is not persecution. I don't know who needs to hear it, but your feelings getting hurt because someone disagrees with you is not persecution. Your life going to shambles may not actually be the enemy. It may just be God's discipline to correct your path and get you closer to him. And if you aren't listening to God, you will not know the difference. So when we pray, yes, present your request to God, but you have to listen to him too. You have to be intentional about taking time in silence and solitude and listening to what God has to say. Persecution in the early church looked like this. Acts chapter 5 verse 40. Gamaliel's speech persuaded them, and the Sanhedrin called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. Flogging was taking hits from a whip, and it was multiple hits from the same whip, probably in the same spot, and the goal was to inflict pain. And so many people would leave a flogging with marks, cuts, and even sometimes deep wounds into their skin simply for just sharing the gospel, simply for just sharing this message of hope and love that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every single one of the apostles received this for, for just sharing the gospel and calling out the sins of the world and urging people to repent. In the early church, it wouldn't stop here. This was probably child, this was child's play compared to what they would eventually find and see. The church would continue to experience floggings regularly, but they would also be stoned to death. In the next chapter or two, you'll see Stephen. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about Stephen at some point. And he was stoned for just sharing the gospel message, stoned to death. Some would be brutally killed. All of the apostles but one was killed, was murdered very brutally. And 
we'll probably share some of those details, but not all of them because it's very gruesome. And it was all for just sharing the world's greatest message of hope, of love, and of peace. And many people, if you're anything like me, I'll just throw myself under the bus. If you're anything like me, I would prefer not to be flogged for sharing the gospel. I think that's a genuine thing to just not want, not desire. But if flogging's the worst I'll get, I'm willing to do it. You may not want to get persecuted, but you can leave persecution with rejoicing, just like the apostles did. But what I think is that the fear of persecution has led so many people and churches to tolerate sin so that they don't have to experience it. It's this fear of, well, if the church was flogged and then they were you know, thrown into the Colosseum to be mutilated by animals as entertainment for Roman citizens just for sharing the love of Christ, maybe I'll tolerate a couple sins just so people aren't mad at me. Just so people are, are, are okay with me and okay with my church. And, you know, I, I don't want to look bad in the media. I don't want to look bad to other people outside that, um, that might not be following Christ. And so I, I might tolerate some of the sin, but, you know, we'll, we're really hard on sin. And we'll, we'll really uh, nail it down once we get the people in. Our natural desire is for peace. Our natural desire is for comfort and ease. And enduring persecution will not be comforting will not be peaceful, and will be no easy task. But it will come to a church who genuinely follows Christ. I'm not saying might. I'm not saying that this church might at some point, maybe, maybe we'll endure some persecution along the way, but you know, we're healing, we're seeing people baptized, we're doing all these things. No, I'm telling you, we will. We will endure persecution. And it will come from religious church people, and it will come from the world. But look at the apostles' response. I love it. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because for them, they're like, man, I'm just glad that I was worthy to receive a beating. I'm just worthy that I, was, I had this opportunity to receive a beating for Christ's name. To really suffer in a sense like Christ suffered. I'm just so blessed that I'm seeing persecution in my life because it reminds me of what Jesus did on the cross, how he was uh, persecuted, how he was broken, how he was beaten for the forgiveness of my sins. And if God is willing to send his son to do that for me, man, I'm just glad that I have the opportunity to, to return the favor. If we want to see life transformation in this community, we better be willing to buckle up and endure whatever type of persecution is coming. Persecution. And I know this is, this is heavy, but I want to leave you with some hope. Persecution showed the world how much the early church believed in God. How deep their love was for God. And it led many people to be followers of Christ because they saw his light through the apostles' wounds. As the apostles were being beaten in front of people, people were seeing the light just pour out of their life. It won't be easy and it won't be pretty, 
But we have a hope, and his name is Jesus. And what I want you to see where this will lead, these seasons of hardship and pain, is you got to look in church history. Church history, the Roman Empire was not nice to Christians. As you probably know, if you've studied or if you've been in church for a little bit or done deeper studies, there's several Roman rulers that would come in. One of them, probably the worst, was Nero. They would come in and, and just persecute and kill Christians, torture them to death. They would, like I said just a few minutes ago, they would literally throw Christians, those who claimed to follow Christ, they would throw them into the Colosseum with lions and tigers and bears and any other animal that they could think of to put in there to destroy them, to completely just rip them apart in front of all of the Roman citizens, and the Roman citizens would cheer because they were entertained by Christians' death. But there's this emperor that came to power named Constantine. And he saw that even though there's been all this persecution of all the Christians, 50% of Rome was now claiming to be followers of Christ. And so he made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. What started with 12 people led to over half a nation knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If we want to see change in our community, if we want to see change in our schools, in our counties, in our state, in the United States, then we need to return to what it was like for the early church to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel together, to worship and pray together, to find healing together, and to endure persecution together. Because if God is for us, then who can stand against us? If God is standing next to us, nothing will be impossible for us. And it starts with you. Are you available? Are you willing to fight the good fight of faith? Are you willing to endure whatever pain will come towards you? And if you are, I encourage you, come to the altar and tell God, I'm here, I'm willing, I will endure anything that Satan and all the powers of the world and hell can throw against me because, man, if I am getting persecuted, it is a pleasure for me because that means I'm giving something back to all of the pain that my Savior endured. And if that's you, I encourage you, come to the altar and proclaim to God, say, I'm here, I'm available, I'm willing, and I will endure. And if you aren't so sure, maybe if you don't know that you'll have the strength to endure it, maybe you don't know if you'll be able to come to the altar or you'll, you'll be able to endure the persecution. You're like, I don't know about all this. Like, I'm kind of new. I'm still learning about all this. And I just don't know if I'm ready for that. Then I encourage you, come to the altar and ask God to give you strength. Ask him to give you courage. Ask him to help you endure. And he will. He will always provide your needs. And so as we sing this last song, I encourage you to come.